0: Hey, Griff, would you mind getting that podium and just bringing it down here for me? This, this. um, just want to mention a couple things to you. Um, the uh, Michael, where'd you go? Hey, Michael, tell us about the uh, men's fellowship on the thirteenth. Uh, now there's a group of guys cooking, right? For. study options we, we always call that i mean i love the name men's bible fellowship so that's kind of what we're calling it but uh, so of course our crowd's not very but maybe next sunday obviously the crowd will be bigger and we can we can promote it again uh wednesday night as in this coming wednesday night first wednesday night of the month is covered dish we've we've uh, renewed our our wednesday night suppers and so the first wednesday night is covered dish and uh i encourage you to spread the word uh tuesday and wednesday when folks get back in town as always the church provides chicken and uh drink and and obviously the paper products and we just ask you to bring covered dishes and to share enough for your family and a little bit more uh Also, let me mention to you, uh, I don't know how long I'm going to continue to do it, not because I don't want to do it, but uh, lack of participation sometimes does affect it. But I really enjoy doing the Wednesday. I do a Wednesday night, and they're both like 15 minutes. I've whittled them down to 15 minutes each, just about. And uh, Wednesdays at 5, I do a little Bible study uh, on Facebook. You can watch us Facebook Live. And really, they're recorded. I mean, you watch them anytime. I mean, I'm sure uh, you can go back and see what I've done in the past and then every Friday morning at nine a m and I usually do the Friday morning study in the midst of grandkids, so it's always interesting and uh Friday we had Tatum and Margaret Ann, and that's like having four kids it was It was a mess, and I'm always trying to uh do the study. Uh, while Diane tries to distract them, plus we have a bunch of dogs that I'm the, uh, I'm the dog whisperer and they, they want to be around me. And they know when I start setting up that I'm fixing to do something. So one dog gets below, one dog gets behind me in the chair and it's a scene. But anyway, so some people tell me they watch just to see what's going to happen. So there are some interesting things that happen. So anyway, I love doing it. It is part, it's, you know, it's not going to take the place of church but it is an opportunity to hear, to hear God's Word. I know our nominating team is still working on, um, and what's so great about the nominating report, and this is what we were doing right before the, before the pand, uh, pandemic hit, um, we uh, we're enlisting workers to work for two years. You know, for the first 10 or 12 years I was here, we did a nominating report every year. And really for you and for me, about the time I, you got used to your task, it was time to, to go back through the nominating process. So um, what we've done for the last eight or ten years is we do, uh, we do a two-year rotation. So when you enlist, if you're enlisting on the flower team or the hospitality team or the baptismal team, you're doing it for, you're, hopefully you're doing it for two years. Every time I step right here, do you know what I think about? Every time, I appreciate y'all bringing it up. <laughs> but I always step down one step at a day. I never like I did before. If you're not, don't know, I fell While I was praying, it was during the invitation, by the way. And so I had out. We, everybody had their eyes closed. I don't know why I think of this stuff, but. And so in my mind, I'm sta- In my mind, I'm down on the next one, but in reality, I'm standing right here. So I'm taking a very small step, but in reality I'm taking a big step. So I fell. Everybody's eyes are closed. Until I hit, so when I started falling, I spread my hands out. And I wasn't as big as I am now, okay? So, so, you know, it didn't hurt quite that bad. But when I spread my arms out, I hit one of the offering plates, which was sitting up here with money in it. And it flew up in the air and threw money all the way to the back bouncing, you know, the, the Lord's, the plate I mean, the offering plate was bouncing around money was slinging off, Bonnie started crying because she got embarrassed for me Bonnie Lee? Okay um, I'm just kidding I know they had to go to the nursery, but anyway so uh, um, it was a scene, so every time I stepped especially that, because I was really close to the Lord's supper table. Anyway, your Bible's open to, obviously to the book of Ephesians and uh, I appreciate your presence this morning and I knew before I came that there were um, dozens, uh, even in our little church. I already knew that there were dozens of folks that were going to be gone. Um, others, like Miss Faye. Miss Faye Gill, fell this morning and cut her head. And last we heard, she had they had sewn her head up. She's at Baptist deceased, but uh, we don't know anything other than that. But uh, but I do appreciate your appreciate your presence here. Um, we have been talking about the doctrine of salvation and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians probably for several months. But really the more popular passages about the doctrine of salvation really are found in chapter 2. But in chapter 1 of Ephesians, really he describes all the things that are involved... Really, it it is from our perspective. It is. It is from our, but also it's from God's perspective, kind of from God's sovereign uh, omnipotence or omniscience when how he how he handles salvation. A lot of what Ephesians chapter one is all about. And uh, before I read the passage, I just want to kind of give you an illustration. Something I'm thinking about. Uh, I. I'm a big fan of, uh, I believe his first name is Mike Lindell. He's the pillar guy, my pillar. Let me say this again. I really like Mike Lindell. How many of you know who I'm talking about? The my pillar guy, okay? I really respect him. Uh, not as a businessman, but more as a Christian, okay? Because I've never been a businessman. Um, his story is great. You know, he was a dope user, got saved. And now he's a multimillionaire. And uh, I just got to be honest. Of all the evangelicals that are taking a stand and calling out the lying, cheating, hypocrisy of some of our political leaders, he's one of the only ones doing that. And I'm grateful for it, it's cost him dearly. Um, but he has, a, you can go, he has a, a thing called Frank's Speech. You, you, he has news. I watch this. Uh, it's good news. It's not It's not controlled by mass media. It's the real news. And he has Christians that are delivering the news. And, and I appreciate that. Um, Lindell TV. Uh, there, you can watch TV. Uh, you can go to Frank's Speech. And there's tons of news options. But I was listening to... Uh, he does several specials about, uh, you, they, won't, they won't let you say this. The, or the, the, the media, the world, liberals don't want you to say this, but I, I will die. I mean, I may die next week, but I'm telling you, I will never not believe that there was massive voter fraud. I think they're the liars, not us. And uh, he, he had a big thing on voter fraud. I, mean, I don't know if you've watched him at all, and I'm not going to get into the political part. But he had tons of specials on voter fraud, whether it was the machines. That's one thing. And some of that technology stuff I don't understand. Um, but they did find he, he listed the states or the, or the certain districts that had, had so many dead people vote. Okay. Now let me say that again. One of the specials I watched was one of the reports they were giving and I can't remember how many precincts they said and and how many total votes there were but there were tens of thousands of dead people that voted in the last election. Dead people voting. And of course 99% of the dead people voting didn't vote for my side. Okay, Shame on them. Those dead people should have been Know what they were voting for. But the point would be, and this whole issue is, and he's right, I mean, I'm not going to get into that, but you know true, I mean, dead people shouldn't be voting because dead people can't vote. But, and that's true, and there's a whole other story, you can read it for yourself, study it for yourself, I'm not getting into that. But this is what I want you to think about. And I'm trying not to be ugly, because this is tough stuff you deal with out of Ephesians 1. But there's been dead people In our church. Doing things. Saying things. And even leading things. In the past 23 years that I've been here. There's been dead people working in the church. Spiritually dead people. Now I don't have a list of them. I can't call out names. I wouldn't call out names. But in a church after 23 and a half years. There have been people who have done things that were dead in their sin they had never been saved they were religious they had some answers they looked good they could talk like me talk like you they knew some Bible doctrine Uh, they could talk about Jesus but um, what the New Testament says about salvation was not the salvation that they have experienced there's nothing new there's no dramatic change And that's probably happened more times than I would want to count. I I wonder how many lost people I've baptized. I think about this stuff all the time. It's my fault. I'm not attacking you. That's me. You know, I've been here. Let's say I've baptized 15 a year. I'm not going to do the math because I'll get it wrong. But let's just say 20 years at 15, I can do 300. It's more than that. But I wonder how many of 300 people I've baptized were really saved. I wonder how many people today, they're trusting in baptism to save them, and it won't. Even though you've heard what I say every time I baptize. It just When you read the book of Ephesians, these are the things that you find to be important, because that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about all that God does when He saves somebody. So if you have your Bibles, I'm reading out of Ephesians chapter one, and uh if you don't mind, just for a second, I want to read verses just in chapter one. I want to read verses uh eighteen and following, and then I'm gonna come back and go like back over to verse four. but I'm gonna pick up I tell you what let me let me just pick up at verse fifteen. I'm gonna do it backwards, so I'm gonna pick up at fifteen, read through the end of the chapter. And then the second hour, I'll pick up in verse 1. You like that, don't you? Second hour. hour. So, you were listening. Uh, So, verse 15 says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, again, going back and let me just stop here. I don't have time, but going back and reading Ephesians 19, I mean Ephesians, Acts nineteen, and getting the what all's gone on. You had the sons of Sceva, you know, the guys that were false prophets, and they thought they could cast out a demon, and they couldn't. And the demon put the whoop on them, and because uh, they had no authority over him, they didn't know Jesus. They just knew his name, and so they tried to use his name and. Uh, Without knowing him personally and and the demon had no respect for that, and about killed them all and then you get into this thing with Artemis, you know because people start repenting and and they're they're getting rid of their books of sorcery and and then these trinkets that the silversmith's producing folks are getting saved and they're no longer buying the idols, these trinkets, these items of false worship and uh Especially the Temple of Artemis, or we you would know it as the Temple of Diana, uh, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. Um, if you you can go home and don't do it in front of me, but you you could do it right now on Google, yeah, I know you could or 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 whatever you, you search engine you use, but you could go look at some of the 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 artwork of, of what the original Temple of Diana looked like and And it was a massive structure. Uh, I think it was 300. The size of a football field. Just the structure. Really, it was bigger than a football field. If you took the end zones in and went past the sidelines over into the stands, it it was wider than a football field. Longer and wider. But it was close to the size of a football field. And what was so impressive about it, and, and Paul picks up on all this stuff, he uses all these dimensions. He picks up on some of this stuff. But it had 127 Pillars so if you counted the number of supporting structures, pillars, not a pillar like you sleep on, but a pillar that holds up something, does that make sense, Gary? Not a sleeping pillar, but a pillar. We have pillars out front. they're facades, but they're pillars and and so it 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 held up. there was a hundred and twenty seven, many of them were gold and precious jewels, and most of them were donated by worshipers. Of Diana from other parts of the world, and so they would pay to have these uh, these pillars built. So it was a massive structure, pagan worship, immoral worship, and then that was the that was like the worship center. And then the the uh, the bust or the the statue of Diana was sixty feet tall. It was this almost as high as the building, and it it was. Uh, it was vile looking, to be honest with you. Uh, she was naked from the waist up, and and it was not a pretty sight. But this is where this is what people worshipped, and and so the, the silversmiths would make little trinkets so people could buy them and support. And that's what the conversation was about. And you know we've got to do something. We've got to shut these Christians up because it's costing us um, at the cash register. So we we have to do something about that. And think about even even though that was 2,000 years ago how common that is in many places in America that Christians are persecuted because of their faith or their they' they they're run out of business because they they think different they won't do a cake for a homosexual couple and then they're sued you know stuff like that just it, because the world they're in darkness and and when you're living in the light they can't stand it to be exposed by, by the light um, but anyway I'm picking back up at verse 10 for this reason Paul says because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints and how long by the way did Paul stay here in Ephesus remember three years three years um, man, hold on I won't take the time to do the cross reference let me see if I wrote it down somewhere but it's back in Acts. Um, it's back in Acts. Yes, I did. Go back to Acts nineteen. We just got to do this. Let me show you this. Uh, Acts nineteen. You'll appreciate this. You'll appreciate this when I don't keep you to five o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, Acts. And I didn't. I didn't bring a timepiece with me. Acts night Go to Acts nineteen. And uh, this is uh, stuff that a lot of this Robbie had. Had been reading, uh, but Acts chapter 19, um, hold on just a second, yeah, let me see if I can find it, Acts 19, I'm sorry, I I lost my place, I was telling my Sunday school class, uh, I have good news, uh, I've ordered my bifocals, man, these progressives are tough to learn, I just can't do it. I don't know if it's what, if it's me or what, but progressive, some of you, I'm not going to get into all that, but if you've had progressives, you, I've had bifocals for years, and I thought I could handle progressives. I can't find the sweet spot, and uh, so I'm going back to bifocals. So I should be able to see in a couple of weeks. Uh, now this is part of Paul's teaching in Ephesus. Verse 8 says, 19.8, And he entered the synagogue. Now, uh, um, just to let you know, they had, the gospel had come, well, the repentance, they had heard the preaching of repentance, but they did not understand the work of the Holy Spirit. So you see, Paul helps them in, in encountering a full gospel response. You know, you, but, but now he says, and he entered the synagogue... For three months he spoke boldly, and that's where he would always go if there was a synagogue in a city. Those of us that have went through the book of Acts a couple of years ago we, you know that we knew when we got to another town, the first thing Paul would look for is, is there enough families in that city for them to have a synagogue because the Jewish people they already had the law and the Bible and he said the gospels for the Jew first and then also for the Gentile. so in every city, Paul would go to the Gent- uh, Jews first, and then he would go to the synagogue that's where he would teach because these people I had the Old Testament. He was just saying Christ is the promised Messiah. That's what he would tell him. So he went there for three months, looking at it, your Bibles, right? Verse eight, boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, so so goes to the synagogue to teach, and so you have these these stubborn unbelievers and they're causing trouble, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So they kept bad-mouthing Christianity and the way of Christ and all that. So He withdrew from them and He took the disciples with Him, uh, reasoning daily in the... Do you see that? He took the disciples with Him. See that? Reasoning... How long? Daily, in the hall of Tyrannus. Verse ten. And this continued, for how long? Two years. Now I'm not an apostle, so I don't have that kind of authority. I, I'm so, but those people, those disciples, disciple means the word learner. It's interesting that word appears. It doesn't appear a whole lot of times after the gospel accounts, but they're learners. These learners every day wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Every day they were in Bible study. And uh, if you pay attention to other parts of the Bible, they weren't meeting for a 15-minute quick Bible study. They would meet for hours every day. Now, I don't know when they did it. It doesn't tell us that. But they did it, and it says for two years, every day, can you imagine the maturation that went on in these believers' lives? Uh, and that's why they're able to handle you know because a couple of years after Paul leaves Ephesus, he writes this letter, and there's some deep things in this book and and they can handle it though they they understand these doctrines and they understand them because Paul was there for three years and taught them God's word. Let me just say, uh, there's, there's a good inference in the book of 1 Cor- Corinthians that you ought to be mature, that you ought to be out of being... Okay, that being a baby in Christ should last no longer than 18 months. That at 18 months after you're saved, you should be eating meat. And that's inferred by the amount of time Paul spent at Corinth, which was 18 months. And he says something like that. That you should not be doing it this way. You should be mature. And it's because he has spent 18 months with him. I think about three years. I think about 23 years. And, and the, I think of... Not, not that I'm the Apostle Paul at all, but this is God's pulpit and this is God's Word in the literal hundreds of times that we've done this very same thing and studied God's Word. And and then as the shepherd, I put this in print, as the shepherd, I keep seeing my sheep wandering around and not gathering in the fold. It grieves me. And when Bonnie was singing, she started she when she talked about the cross, about you know, Christ's death for us his death. You think about the one who died for you in your place, a substitute, and he was punished for you. And not only that, besides bearing the punishment for you, he allows you to have his history. And then he gives you everything he earned as an inheritance, but we don't follow him. I happen to be reading an article this week about the the gold rush, and uh, uh, in the eighteen forties and and all that stuff. I don't to tell you, you know what the gold rush, but. You know, they, they had this fool's gold. It looked like gold, but it was iron. It was called pyrite. But it had, when you looked at it, if you weren't really a great miner, you would really think it was, it was gold, and it was called fool's gold. And they were talking about how many people would see it and say, Eureka, Eureka, which is Greek. I found it. But they hadn't. And I wonder how many fool's golds that are across the landscape of Christianity who who think they have something that they don't have because it's not what's in this book. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust. Now think about this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Bear the image. Uh, wear, Wear the clothes. Wear the arm. Bearing. You bear something. Carrying it on your shoulders. Bearing as a soldier. Wearing... Carrying a sword with you. What you. You bear it. Everywhere you go, that's, that's what you're bearing. You bearing the life. Bear, B-E-A-R. You're bearing the life of Christ everywhere you go. That's what saved people do. Yes, all of us are fallen. We're like Adam. But now we bear the image of the Son of God. Or do we? Well, that's all of what Ephesians 1 is about. He's telling us all these things that. That God does in salvation. So let's just look at a couple of them. Um, some, I, I know this is not professional, but somebody tell me the time. Anybody? Okay. Plenty of time. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. That's a great marker of salvation. Jesus said that himself, didn't he? John 17. They'll know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. It's a brotherly love. It's a blood love. Because we're family. It's interesting. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So this is kind of... He's telling the Ephesians what's been on his heart when he's prayed for them. uh, What's been on his mind about them when he prayed. says, I give thanks for remembering you in my prayers that the God... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, okay, can't earn it, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. Now, I'm going to be brief, but one of the first things Paul talks about about saved people is personal revelation that people that in, that know Christ develop an overwhelming desire to know what the truth is. We in Sunday school, you know, we talked about the spirit of truth. That Jesus talked about the spirit of truth and and then he calls the holy spirit the spirit of truth that that in which now tabernacles inside of us that we should want to know the truth because we are been saved and born again by the by he who is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean so many but so he says that I pray that the God the Lord, the God of the Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, will give you, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes. I love this. Having the eyes Of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So, Paul, first of all, just briefly is telling these saints, it's about God, when you're saved, God revealing Him. It's what we might call personal revelation, that God reveals Himself to you. And Paul says, I'm praying that your knowledge of Christ, that the Father will give you more knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you'll have this desire, this compulsion to know more of God's revelation." Uh, I was looking at that cross reference this week uh, that verse in second corinthians five that says The love of christ i got to get some water i 'm about to die says the love of Christ constrains me second uh, corinthians five somewhere around verse twelve or thirteen The love of Christ constrains me, and that word constrain means to to, be, to have a narrow focus. To be controlled. Almost to be shackled. Where this is where you have to go. That it, it, it binds you and leads you. So Christ's love for me shackles me and carries me in a certain direction. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. That God, that when it comes to knowing more about Him, that I, I'm, I'm personally committed to learning, it says the revelation of His Word. I want to know. Uh, I want to know more about Him. I want to know His Word. I want God to reveal truth to me and having be enlightening. I like that word. Uh, revealing, enlightening my eyes so that I can comprehend. Um, so, So one of the... And you know this. I mean you, you can read this in every book of the Bible, New Testament, that uh, that one of the, 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 the fruits of being saved is that you love God's word. It's just a fact. You can't get away from it. And, and the New Testament, by the way, and I didn't know this, learned it this week, the, the New Testament has 400 biblical commands for believers. So it's not to unbelievers. They're to believers. Four hundred commands. Imperatives. Well, because we're supposed to want to do it. Lost people can't. Saved people can Because life is in the Spirit. And so then God says, He says, Having the eyes of your heart open the eyes of my heart lord open the eyes of my heart i want to see you the song we sing comes out of that verse open the eyes of my heart that's what you want to see you want to see something i've never seen before i want to know more about him so he says having the eye, so personal revelation having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. By the way, past tense. So when you got saved, He did the calling. He's writing to people that had been saved for a while. So the hope to which He has called you, if you're looking up, so that's past tense. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Uh, In Bible language, uh, that's future. Okay? Because our inheritance is future. okay. So that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. Uh, What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? Future. And here's the present. And this is a mark of salvation. So number one... If you're just thinking with me, so Paul says, hey, to these believers, they've been saved several years, been taught several years. He says, you know, it's about personal revelation. You should want to grow, but then he says, progressive sanctification. That it's obvious, you know. He tells Timothy when Timothy's pastoring, let your let your growth be obvious to all. You know, he tells him in First Corinthians, it's progressive. We. Progressive sanctification. You know, that's not, that's so different from justification. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights. Saint, where I become more and more like Jesus. Look what he says. So, that you may know what are the hope of which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint. Oh, let me, let me stop there. You know, if you don't read that closely, you don't really understand what he's saying. First one says, to know what is the hope of which he has called you. This uh, I love that word uh, call. call I won't get into it, but that kaleo is a great word. But then he look what he says. I'm gonna stop just a second. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Do you see what he's not saying? This verse is not saying the inheritance for the saints. Is he? It's not what it says. He's talking about. The Father and the Son's inheritance in the saints. That God is going to be glorified in those believers. That there's something about God's redeeming love, saving these folks, forming them in the image of His Son, securing their place in heaven. All those things, it, it increases the glory of His own inheritance. Having all these people saved. That's what that verse is saying. That saved people... Enhance the glory of, of heaven. The, it says, so it says, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That's why he says, uh, because he talks about, because think about what he gives you and I when we get saved. He says this in chapter 3. I won't take the time to read it, but you know, he, he, he ascended, and what did Jesus do? He gave gifts to men. Right, and then he he gives spiritual gifts, and he gives the fruit of the spirit, and these people become like Jesus and do things for Jesus. And who's getting the glory? He is the glorious inheritance in the saints. So this is why the Bible says, when we obey Him, we give we give Him the we glory. If we glorify Christ, we're glorifying the Father. It's the glorious inheritance in the saints. All this stuff He's distributed to us in salvation, when we fulfill those things, God gets the glory. It's it's an incredible thing. Um, so it's not just about personal revelation, it is about that, but it's also about this this being sanctified. But he takes that a little step further. He says, in what? Verse 19 says, in what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great power. Now I I wished I could sit here and tell you all the original words he uses that that have the word dynamite or energy in it. There's like five different words in one verse that are talking about what God, the energy and power that God released when he saved you. So he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So for all who believe, God releases this, this power. To change us, to encourage us, to, to transform us, to equip us. Whatever words you want to come up with, God... And by the way, in, in the language of the Bible, uh, that's present tense. I mean, every moment of every day we live because God has distributed this power. So, of His power toward us who believe. Then He says, according to the working of His mega energy. To his mighty might, it's almost how you would say it. So God in salvation has released all this power, and all this power is given to us so we can live like the Lord Jesus Christ. And He tells us, He tells us, kind of the root. How did He measure this power? Where did? How did the Father know? How did the Father know how much power to deliver when I repented of my sins? And trusted Christ. How, how did the Father know how much power to release? Because, because the Spirit worked in Christ. What He says, He said that, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Um, do you realize, just briefly, how much power God released to us when He saved us? To transfer us... To translate us or, or to regenerate the dead. he brought. We were dead in sin. He brought us back to life. But then He transferred us from the domain of Satan to the domain of the Father. He does all those things by His own power. And I will tell you, just from reading the New Testament, there'll be less, it'll be, what's already happened to us in salvation, you won't believe this, but this is what the Bible teaches There'll be less of a transformation from a power what's been released after you die than it was. What I'm saying, there was more power. How do I say? Now the resurrection from the dead, I know it's going to be something, but but the transition when you to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. That's amazing, but that's not as amazing as this. That's what the Bible teaches. This is amazing. There was power released to save me. That was akin to the power that it took to resurrect Christ from the dead. to make my salvation your salvation, uh, By the way, Christ is alive, and that power saves that same power was released. it was effective, that's what we scholars call it. salvation, the God, when God saves, it's effective. Is it possible for God to say he's doing this and somebody not get saved? No. It's possible for people to say they're saved and not be saved, but it's not possible for God to do this and not save somebody. That's my point. That's what Paul's point is. If you're saved, here's what's going to happen. You're going to love God's Word. There's going to be personal revelation. You're going to be consumed with wanting to know more about this Christ that has saved you. There's going to be progressive sanctification. You're going to want to grow in this power and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you something else that just thrilled me to death, and i I know I'm out of time, but just go down to the last couple of verses. Verse 22 and 23. And again, I, I've skipped a bunch, but this, this stirred me when I was reading it. And uh, I just want to share it with you. Uh, he says, and he put all things... Uh, well, first he, he set Christ far... Verse 21. Again, the words are incredible. Far above... Uh, let, I'll give you that one word. Far above. I'm at verse 21 now. I'm going to get to the last verse. Hold on. It's a holiday. So give me holiday hours. Okay. He says far above. Now, okay. Now, let We've talked about. We've talked about loving His Word. Uh, personal revelation. Uh, we've talked about sanctification. Progressive sanctification. And now we're going to talk about. Uh, that God. God's still using men and women. To lead other people to Christ. And I just call that personal incarnate. What I'm saying is Christ's body is still here. Right? Is Christ still here? In the body? Yeah. Through, through, through the church. It is interesting that the church word church appears nine times in Ephesians and the word body appears nine times in Ephesians. Because we are the church. We, it's His body. Anyway, I'm going to get to that. But in verse 21 he says, in some of Christ, you know, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And he's talking about Christ's authority far above. Now, I'm not kidding you. This, that word, two words put together, could be, it's a basket, you could use it in basketball. Above the rim. If you're a basketball player. It means, it's the same word used when Jesus said, or when Jesus tells his mother to have them fill the water pots when He was going to turn the water into wine. And you can read there in John 2, and it says, They filled them to the what? Rim. The Word is above. It's the Word above the rim. So this describes Christ far above. He is above it all. But now He's personal in sinners like me and you who have been saved. And we're going to do his work. Is that not miraculous? He has ascended to the right hand. Look at all these terms he used to describe. Far above all rule, arcades, authority that's been having a position of authority, power is dynamite, dominion is, is almost a political term. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come, he's up there, he's it. And he put all things under his feet. And what did he do? He gave him head over who? To the who? Church. Which is his body. So folks, those of us that are saved, and I know I'm saved. I'm not perfect, and I don't fulfill, but I know what the Bible says happens to folks when they get saved. It happened to me. And Paul says that what happened to him in salvation is is the model of what happens when other people get saved. And what happened to Paul happened to me. And what happened to me happened to you. And this is what Paul's saying. When I got saved, when you and I get saved, it's about pers- we want to know God's personal revelation. We desire his word. It's about progressive sanctification. We we want to grow more and more in that power. We want to be more and more sanctified. Then he says it's about personal incarnation. We realize who we represent. It says the last two verses, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This Christ that is far above every rule and every name, guess what he's doing? He's filling the church right now. This is where he wants to demonstrate his power right here through people like me and you. This is how he does his work. You know, he's not God's not appearing in the heavens yet, and he's not doing loopity loops in a in a scene, or he's not writing his name in the heavens and saying repent. He's not his face isn't appearing in the clouds. No. It's not not yet. You know what he's doing? He's letting people like me and you live for him and share him. That's how he, and that's how that's what it means to be the body of Christ that's what he's doing right now Acts 1.1 says all that Jesus began to do and teach he began it in the book of Acts describes what we do to finish it we keep doing his work we keep living for Jesus amen let's stand in prayer thank you so much Let's pray together. Father, we love You and thank You for Your grace, Your mercy. Thank You for salvation. Father, thank You for the authority of Your Word. Thank You that it changes us. Father, thank You for the Spirit that seals us and then empowers us to be like Christ in a lost world. Father, thank You that the most glorious thing You're looking for is for a group of people to assemble themselves as Your church, that represents the resurrected Christ. Father, help us to demonstrate the life of Christ wherever we go. Help us to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.